This is Get Unstuck Radio episode 38. We cover lost sales with intimate copywriting with Nick Wirsch. Welcome to Get Unstuck Radio, the place to brainstorm with you on business and life strategy to get unstuck with system automation and delegation and also to get clarity for sustainable business and lifestyle. I'm your host, Mukita Panmuk. Let's get unstuck. Hi, everyone. So today we have copywriter Richard here, Nick Wirsch. Thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure to be here. So let's talk about copywriting. I talk about this quite a lot, that this is my weakness somehow. And today, of course, we have expert right here. So Nick, tell us a little bit about yourself and your Copy Cows. Yeah, so Copy Cows is my agency. Uh, it's what I use to sell copy towards people who are either in the info product or e-commerce realm. I discovered copywriting has to have been about a year ago to the state, but since then I've had about $500,000 passed through my work. I think copywriting is probably one of the most essential skills that anyone can learn if they really want to blow up their business and get to the point where it's making the revenue that they want it to. However, it's very good to understand if you are good at it or if you're not. If you're not, you should hire someone to do it because if you have, you know, your attempt at copy and it's not good, it just rubs people the wrong way. So I don't think that people need to go crazy. I mean, if you want to spend $15,000 on a sales letter, go ahead, but you could get some very good copy written for you for a couple thousand and it'll, it'll definitely help towards the sales of your actual program or product or whatever you're doing. Yeah. So, you know, when I always complain about my copy, cause I hired a copywriter before last year was unsuccessful to be honest. And it's totally reduced my sales percent. Like mm-hmm. I have to go back like my influencer back somehow. Cause like it's different energy, like that bad. So I somehow like don't know how to hire a right copywriter as well. But also I got the objection that it because I'm not knowing my ideal clients correctly, like in details or what exactly the problem that I was facing. Sure. So both those things. So first, how to hire a good copywriter. So I look, I like to look at it as what, what I do, because I've had to hire copywriters for projects. So let's say I have a very large project that I'm taking on. I need two or three people to come and help me. What I do is I make it difficult for someone to actually join me. So what I mean by that is when I post the application in the Facebook group, so there's a bunch of different copywriter uh, groups. I think Cult of Copy is very good. I know that there's the science of copywriting. All of these have them. What you need to understand is that a majority of the market is going to be people overseas who don't have that good of English, who are probably not going to be the best writer for you. However, they are always on these job boards and they apply to everything, even if they're not qualified for it. If they don't meet the requirements, they will still apply. So what I mean by making it difficult for someone to apply is that I put in my post, you must send me over your resume. You must send me over why you think you're the right fit for this. And I would also like some of your pricing, an example of how you priced a project. So my reason for doing that is it puts three barriers in the way of someone. And I'm very strict that if you apply for my job and you don't listen, if you ignore one of those, I delete your application immediately or I delete your message immediately. Why is that? Someone cannot follow very basic, simple instructions, an awful employee or they are awful service provider. 
I make it, it's, it's probably what they do is they just see copywriter needed and then they just spam, they send the copy and paste messages they send to everyone. I want to make sure that that person actually understands it. On top of that, I also look at the copy, the way that they submitted their application. Is it one big block of text? Yes, then I'm not going to hire this person because they, they're pretty much useless to me at that point. If I, it's much harder, or it's much easier for me to train someone from scratch how to become a good copywriter than someone who's been doing copy for many years and still mm -hmm. writes poorly. And I find that very interesting because you have to break a lot of habits. So how to find a good copywriter, I say make it difficult for the person to apply so you're not only getting a good copywriter, but you're getting someone who can listen to instructions because that's very frustrating when someone can't listen to instructions. And also when you say, hey, I have this idea and they go, well, I had another idea and do that. Nah, 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 nah. I, I'm not hiring you to be the creative consultant. That's my job. I am hiring you to do a job. So it's important to understand the difference between those two. But the second question you had, I can't quite remember. What was it that you said that you, uh, you first one was how to hire a copywriter. What was the second question that you asked? Um, it, I was failed on hiring the previous copywriter was because I'm not understand my client avatar clearly, mm -hmm. isn't it? So that is one thing that can cause someone, you know, if you don't understand who you're writing to, it's very difficult for you or any other copywriter to go in and then write some magical letter for you. So I think it's very important for people to go and actually talk to their audience. So whoever it is, you go and speak with them and you try and figure out how does this person tick? And it's not just a simple question of how much money do they make? Are they a man or a woman? You know, how old are they? These are the very basic questions. You have to go deeper and figure out what problems do these people have? What does their day-to-day -day look like? And I wanna go deep into pain points. What keeps them up at night? What are they constantly thinking about? What gets them really, really frustrated? What's the biggest problem they have right now? Who are the people they like? Who are the people they don't like? Why do they not like these people? Why do they like these people? So when you ask questions like that, you can really start to understand who the person is. And when someone really understands who the person is, I know how to communicate with that person because that's all copywriting is, is figuring out how to communicate a message to someone in a very clear, concise way that gets someone to pull out their wallet and purchase something or to take a desired action. So it's very, very important to make sure that you're speaking someone's language and the only way you can do that really is through understanding the avatar so sometimes copywriters will use that excuse oh like it wasn't i didn't understand the copyright i didn't understand the avatar or whatever well then the question to ask them is why didn't you ask me you wrote this without without asking me. i figured you just knew who i was talking to which it can you can split the blame amongst you and then the person but you have to really really make a point that when you hire a copywriter they understand who they're writing to they have to understand that what about, so when we do market research, right? We will do the whole spreadsheet, like in details of this question and also like in order to give it to them. I mean, that's what I used to do. Another problem that leads to from like in the past that I wasn't understand my audience before, it leads to that the content that it came out is not like my tone. Is that related or it's because of the copywriter? So a good copywriter should be able to understand how to write in someone's tone. And the way that we do that usually is by listening to someone's podcasts, by listening to someone speak on YouTube or reading their work or whatever they have. I, if I don't have any of those, I'll read through someone's Facebook posts. Tone is very difficult. I, I can't sit here and say that tone is a very easy thing because a lot of times people will say tone, but what it really is is that I just wouldn't say that. That doesn't sound like me. I can tell that that's not me. 
So a lot of the times what I tell a client, and this is how I offer any services, I do my first draft, I maybe mean, a couple different drafts on my own, but then I send it to the client and I say, read through this. Is there anything that doesn't sound like you? Is there anything that doesn't have your, is this a euphemism you don't say or anything like that? And I let the person go in and edit. However, I edit, I only let them edit very specifically. If it's them taking out a, a marketing mechanism, something like, oh, I don't want to use this here, then they're messing with my work. I understand if you don't want me to say dude and you want me to say bro, or if you don't want me to say, if you want me to use a specific word when you say that, that's fine. But when you're removing entire chunks because you say, I don't like this, sometimes we're crossing the barrier of tone and just using tone as an excuse to get rid of things they don't like. So a good way for any copywriters who are watching this right now to get past this is what you do is you set up in your contracts the idea that edits can only be made on a performance basis. So I, and I think you have to have some leeway with that. Like I said, if the client genuinely is saying, dude, I just never say dude, I only say bro. I don't say that word, then change it. But if the client is coming in and saying, okay, I don't like this entire section. This is stupid. You tell them, okay, let's test it. If it's crushing and you can, if there's something that's indicating that people are reading to this point and then they leave the page or something, then I'll fix it. But if not, why, why are we taking away from my work and the research that I did and all that? So to answer that question, very, very succinctly, some copywriters are very bad at tone. Some copywriters are very good at tone. Overall, I think a lot of the times what it is, is doesn't sound like you. It's usually just a little euphemisms. And is it a message that you're trying to convey? And how would you convey that message? So when you're first starting out with a copywriter, let's say you're bringing them onto your team, be patient with them. It may take a month or two before they really get it and you don't have to be making edits anymore. You have made a very good point about, I'm taking note, by the way, I didn't like this track yeah. or something. So <laughs> it's a very good point that like the marketing mechanism and the copy part actually is integrated. But maybe that copywriter wasn't good at marketing as well, right? Because it's right. somehow a very call figure. That's why you write copy. You yeah. sales on paper. Right. When I talk to someone, but I didn't mean that, but when they read my message, they have already put my voice into it. Oh, so you're saying when you're messaging back and forth with someone, they use that as the way they should write. So I think that that's, you know, the way I text is much different from the way that I post on Instagram. And it's very similar to how a lot of people, they act one way in real life. And then on Instagram, they're this other person. So that's kind of that showing. I want to show off a little bit. I don't think, you know, I have a friend on Instagram and Facebook who uses insane vocabulary all the time. It's to the point where it's like, dude, what word is that? I've never seen that before. He doesn't do that in person, but it's because he's showing off. So I think it's important to look at it from the perspective of, Hey, you know, if I'm writing like this in text, that's more of a personal one-on-one -on -one thing. When I'm writing it on Instagram or Facebook, that's when it's to a large audience. And that's when that's probably the better tone to copy on that. So I would say for any copywriter you bring on, you should have them look at your Facebook and your Instagram or the other works you've already published and have them get your tone from that. Because it's very difficult to get that from messages as I say, LOL all the time on messages. But if you put that in a sales page, I'm going to be upset. Why did you say that? So that's, that's one way to look at it. Yeah, that's a very good point. So right now we talking about the perspective from the owner of or the brand representative side versus the customer, right? So let's Perfect. talk about the customer part. So how they make decision on buying stuff? 
Right. So we were talking about this a little bit before on buyer psychology. So I think with every single product, in order to get sales, you must solve some pain point. So a pain point, I think people hear that and they go, oh, a divorce or something like I broke my arm or my car doesn't work. These are major problems. However, a pain point can be something as simple as I'm bored. So every product must solve some sort of problem. And when we start to understand, okay, people have problems for varying reasons, we can start to look at it as how can we solve that problem for them? The way that we can communicate the message to them will help them figure out that they can solve the problem. So an example of this is let's say that we have a young girl, okay? She's 18 years old. We can probably pull because just a general understanding of how 18 year old girls work and we can look at her Instagram. She probably follows a lot of influencers and likes these type of girls photos and she's constantly kind of mimicking the way that they pose and all that. So we can look at one of the key motivators, which is aspiration that she probably has an aspiration to be a beautiful model or would like the presence or attention that comes with being a beautiful model. So there's the aspiration. So I know if I'm, an, if I'm a, uh, a, let's say a makeup company, I know that my ideal audience is probably women from 18, depending on what type of makeup I use, so 18 to 30. Well, I can probably understand that this person, they have an aspiration to be someone beautiful. So what do I do? Every single ad that I create, and if you look at it, every makeup company does this, is on a beautiful woman. Everything is about empowering women and women feeling sexy and comfortable in their own bodies. So I know from a base psychological principle that people have an aspiration, they want to be someone. Because of that, I can then channel that energy and convince them to purchase. Now, I do this with my words by, by mentioning certain things that will trigger that emotion. So imagine what it will feel like knowing when you walk in, everyone's looking at you. We put that, we future sell that idea of them being popular and them being well-respected and uh, admired by other people. So another example of this, let's say we're doing something around weight loss. So weight loss, generally what we can understand is that the reason why people want to lose weight is they don't want to stay this way forever. And most of the time when you keep asking the question why over and over and over and over again, it's because they don't want to be alone forever. They know that they want to be attractive towards someone. And so they're trying to figure that out. So because I understand that humans have a natural part of their psyche, which involves fear that helps them make decisions. If they are fearful, something is going to happen. They will take a lot of preventative measures to make sure that it doesn't happen. So I like to look at it as all products are either helping you go towards pleasure or away from pain. Mm. So I can look at it that the person that's trying to lose weight while they are trying to go towards pleasure and that they look in the mirror and they admire themselves and they think, Oh gosh, I made so much great uh, progress. They are also trying to avoid pain by they don't want to be left alone for the rest of their life without a partner. So I understand this as a copywriter, I know that when I write my copy for a weight loss program, I know what language and what verbiage to use to make sure that I hit the pain points that are going towards pleasure and away from pain. So that's a really good way to look at it. The way that people make decisions is almost always based on emotions. People, every single decision 
Very rarely does someone make a decision based off of pure logic in 2020. It's not a, a very common thing. Most people make a decision just based off of emotion. And this is a life hack, but I personally think that when you can, let's say you think, oh, I want to go get ice cream. What is causing you to want to go get ice cream? It's your emotions. Oh, I really want that serotonin kick. I want the sugar. I really want it right now. When you can prevent yourself from getting that, when you say, no, you know what? I'm not going to get the ice cream right now. I'm going to wait until the end of the week. I'm going to work really, really hard Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then on Friday, I'm going to treat myself to an ice cream only if I like it. That way you're able to actually enjoy the ice cream a lot more than when you're able to go get it. And this is a little bit of an unrelated topic, but it's that idea of you're not going towards instant, instant gratification right away. You work towards it. Yeah. How can you know that would be the right person to buy? This is from which perspective? Oh, wait. How can that person, I mean, the buyers know that this is the product that they have been looking for at that time? I think it's just a matter of who's the most convincing. So who does the best job of speaking directly to them? So a perfect example of this was I was on Instagram and I started getting targeted and I still am being targeted for watches because I started looking at watches. Now, there were some very cool ones that I saw, but the problem was that it wasn't what I wanted. And by that, I mean that a lot of them were on Indiegogo, which is like a, a funding website or it's very similar to Kickstarter. And when I would go and check that out, I'm not trying to wait three months for me to get a watch. I want my watch now. So the more and more ads that kept targeting me, I was like, no, I don't like the presidential style watch. No, I don't like this. No, I don't like that. And eventually a company marketed to me that I really did like it. I looked at it. It wasn't expensive. It was pretty good. I could have it in three to five days. I said, all right, cool. I'll take this one. So why was that product the right product? It fit all of my needs. It fit all my check boxes. Now I'm not the same as everyone else. Some people would have been willing to wait three months for that other watch. Maybe it's that they already have other watches and they need, they, they're okay with waiting for the other one. But for me, I don't have a watch. So for me to have a watch is a lot more of like an immediate need. I really did want one. So I guess it's also based on how, how badly do they need to solve the problem that you're offering? Because if it's, if it's boredom, let's say the problem is boredom, they're probably trying to figure that out pretty quickly. They don't want to be bored forever. But if someone really needs to solve a problem right now, like right now, they don't really care much about the product, just doesn't solve the problem, yes. But if someone can wait and think about it, you know, they're going to look at their options. They're going to taste things. So I just look at it as you can only, you can never, you can't start, let's say that there's zero spark whatsoever. You can't start someone from zero. They have no interest in your product to take them to 10. I really don't think that happens. What you can do is channel someone's already desire they have and bring it further and amplify it. So let's say you have someone at a four, like I was at a four for that watch. I was you know, interested, but I didn't really need it right now. The way that company got me to 10 interested to the point where I'm taking out my debit card and actually purchasing it is because they, first of all, they solved the immediate need for it. They showed me that it was good. I liked it. They built the value really nicely. They showed, Hey, this is a really nice luxury watch. They were showing me videos of it. And you know, I got targeted two or three times. I said, screw it. Let's do it. So a lot of times I think it's just based on how, how badly does this person want to solve their problem? And also, you know, am I the right fit for them? When it comes to coaches, a lot of the time it's, are you the right personality? Because many coaches solve the same problem 
there's many, many, many fitness coaches. There's many mindset coaches. There's many business coaches. There's innumerable amount in each category. So the way that you get people to know that you are the right fit for them is they align with your personality. So I talk about this with the way that I post online. Maybe you've seen some of my comments or some of my posts, but I openly will curse in my posts and will post cuss words. Why? Because I'm willing to leave money on the table and deny business for people that see that and don't like that because I, in my heart, what's comfortable for Nick on how he wants to communicate his message is I want to use a curse word. So I know that the people that get me as clients are probably going to be pretty open to curse words. They're going to be okay with that. They're going to be chill with that. Now there's some here and there that slip through the cracks that are kind of annoying, but regardless, it's, it's that factor of I'm catering my messaging to the right people. So that's the big one. Is it just, does it, does it resonate with them? If it resonates with them, then they'll purchase it from you. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the coach industry, it's actually authentic self come first. Yeah, always. You need to be authentic because I think what everyone, and we can look at the idea of buyer sophistication. So what that is very simply explained is that the longer a market exists, more time, the more times they see a certain product, for example, courses and coaching, the higher the skepticism is. So we're at a point now with coaching and courses and all this stuff that it's at an all-time high. It's at an all-time high. It's really, really fucking high, which is crazy. So what you need to really look at is if it's at this all-time high, the, I think it's the fourth or fifth level of buyer sophistication, the only way that you can differentiate yourself, differentiate yourself is through unique marketing mechanisms. And I think one of the best unique marketing mechanisms is yourself, you. So people buy things based on the person they resonate with. So when I go to gyms, I've been to a lot of different gyms and a lot of different kickboxing gyms, boxing gyms, UFC, stuff like that. Uh, I'm sorry, not UFC, MMA. And out of every single one I've been to, I stay at the one that I resonate most with. I don't like the ones that are very like uh, class orientated and it's a bunch of just running around and exercises and it's not actually fighting. I want to go to a fight gym. So because that resonates with me is why I'm going to go there. Simply put. Yeah. And also, is that the way that they, um, what is the word you are using? Oh my gosh, this is too much content for me in my brain right now. Um, the way that that watch company hmm. building your interest until you take off your credit card and pay, right? Is that how they build the urgency? I don't think you can really build urgency with some products because with a watch, sure they can do the, the sale ends, but for me, I'm a very sophisticated buyer in that I, first of all, I'm a marketer, so I understand every single trick. So to say that your sale lasts 24 hours, probably not. It probably will go on for 48 and you'll extend it or whatever. But I, I think with some products, you can't really use the urgency factor it's very hard. Like I think the only way you can do is with sales really saying that this lasts or this discounts only for this long. But even then, if you really want people to believe you on your future products is you need to stay true to that. So if it actually ends in 48 hours, it actually ends in 48 hours. Yeah. I just don't think that there's much urgency that they can create there. The urgency was totally on me. It's that I was just like, I want to watch. So I bought a watch. That's it. Which it should be coming today. I'm excited to get it. I've been waiting for a couple of days now. 
of course, right now we somehow stuck in the marketing cycle, right? I mean, everything right now, we got the pixel follow everywhere. For example, Tai Lopez follow me every single day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And many more that I see in the YouTube ad. So the right buyer feeling annoyed with this content, you know, when we click and then like follow through the funnel. Right. What do you think? About people getting annoyed? I think it's very relevant. And I think a lot of these gurus, you know, there's a double-edged sword, the authority. The authority is that they're very big and they've had a lot of people sign up. The, dub, the other side of the sword is that some people don't care. It's leave me the hell alone, dude. I'm really tired of you targeting me on Facebook. So that happens a lot. I think one of the best ways to get past that is to be entertaining, is to actually have a side that when you're watching my VSL or when you're watching my ads, it's a documentary style footage or it's entertaining or it's funny. There's a lot of ads I see that are funny that I will be watching on YouTube. I can't remember the one I saw last week, but I'm, I'm going to go watch a YouTube video and I usually click skip ad within the first five seconds. So the guy pops up on the screen and I, I can't remember even what the ad was at all, but it was so funny. And I just wanted, I just sat there and watched the entire thing. And I was like, this guy's a genius at marketing. It's actually really good. I'm not going to buy your stuff, but kudos to you, dude. And I did like it. So a lot of times I think what you can do to stop people in their tracks and not have that dude leave me alone is be entertaining, be, be funny, be, be cool, be, be, you know, someone that they actually like. And there definitely is that urgency that gets built up when the, the targets, the targeting keeps going again and again and again, eventually like, all right, fine. Let me take a look at what this guy's selling. Um, I believe that we got connected from Justin. Yep. Justin Demi yeah. So Justin is the king of retargeting. I have, I, I've had, I don't even know how many ads from him hit me over and over and over again. Now I work with Justin, so I don't need to purchase his content really at all. I mean, I could, however, I think it's very important that because you're doing that, it definitely like, it's going to throw away some people and some people are going to like, stop this and block you and, and never want to do it again. However, for the people that really do resonate with you, it's just a constant reminder of that. So if you're the right person, I think you can do that. If you're an annoying person, like let's say a Dan Henry or a Ty Lopez or people that are very, very annoying in this industry, it works against you because now you're a meme. That's what Ty Lopez became at a certain point was a meme. I think that a lot of the trust for Ty Lopez has dropped over the years. I mean, he used to be one of the biggest authority figures in this field. Uh, same thing with Grant Cardone. They both used to be huge, but look at them now. Anyone, I, I don't think I've heard someone mention Ty Lopez's name positively in the past six months once. Same I don't think yeah, I've I seen anything with Grant Cardone either. And a lot of this comes from the market sophistication raising and more and more people being saying random things about them. So Ty, do I think he's a good guy? Probably. Is he a good marketer? Yeah, he does a good job. However, do I resonate with him? No. It's very hard to resonate with someone who has six supercars and lives in mansions and does all this and tries to sell, sell me a different freaking course every single six months about now, now the big trend is e-com. Get it on e-com. Oh, now it's trading. Now you should do trading. Oh, no, no. Now it's becoming a consultant and this and that. And same thing with Grant. Grant had an interview where he very foolishly decided to debate Jordan Belfort on levels of interest. You saw that? I did. Ridiculous. He sounds like a dummy on it the entire time. Zero is a level of interest. That's like saying that having no fuel in my car means my car has fuel in it. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So he's, um, 
And a lot of these guys shoot themselves in the foot because as they go on and as time progresses, they, the market gets more and more sophisticated. They understand them better and better and they see them for who they are. I don't think that Ty or, or Grant, I could be totally wrong on this, but I don't think that they are who they are in person. I don't think I, I could have really that interesting of a conversation with Grant or that interesting of a conversation with Ty. I think it'd be all about money and about me, 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 and them saying, oh, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. Whereas someone more so, like, I really like Sam Ovens. I think Sam does a very similar thing to them. I could have insanely interesting conversations with Sam because I know he has that intelligence factor. So I think maybe a lot of people don't care about that. But when I listen to Sam, I think Sam's a genius. I agree. I, want I agree. He's very smart. And you can tell that he's a revolutionary. I, I love every single piece of content that he puts out. So yeah. A lot of it just depends on the person when it comes to retargeting and everything. If you're a cool person, you have genuine value to bring to the table, retarget the hell out of everyone because that's how you're going to get sales. If you're an annoying person, you're probably still going to do it anyways, but don't get expected. Don't, don't be surprised when people see that you're, they just continue to comment on it and go out of their way to sham you. I have a friend named Shane Hunter who all Shane does on his Facebook profile, probably about five or six of these a day, is him attacking Grant Cardone about 10x and just making jokes about it all day long. So you will get dedicated followers who follow you in a negative light, who just everything you say, they're gonna kind of figure out some way to be rude to you about it, or be rude about it and be snippy, which I think it's hilarious that Shane, he spends so much time doing this all the time. He'll just, Grant Cardone's going live, cool, let me shit talk him on the post right now. I just, I find all that very funny. Well, he get more views, isn't it? And right now, Fake Guru is very popular these days, isn't it? Right. So it's now become a growing trend. I mean, we see people, I don't know if you're familiar with CoffeeZilla. I um, do. I do. I do. So he's gone and he's debunked all these people. And it's, I thought that what he does, or I think what he does is, is almost genius because he's getting so much traffic towards his thing. I don't think he's charging for anything. I don't think he has a course. It's just genuinely for a good purpose. It, for a lot of people made them realize, oh my God, Dan Locke is like actually not a good person to learn from. And this is what I'll say though, what I think he, he's created this almost witch trial effect where everyone's now a fake guru. Everyone's a fake guru. They had a video where uh, sometimes what he's doing is he's stretching saying that someone's a fake guru. So like he did a video talking about Sam saying Sam's a fake guru, Sam Evans. And the whole video was just talking about a test. It didn't talk about Sam's material. It didn't yeah. talk about anything he teaches. It just talked about a testimonial that the guy left, one of his friends. And so you look at it, and apparently this guy used to be a student of Sam's and da da da, da and whatever, and this guy left a testimonial. I walked away watching that video saying, first of all, dude, why did you do that much research, must, did that much research on a silly topic? And also, you didn't tell me anything about his content. So another thing I think people maybe aren't looking at is they hear a guy come on the podcast and talk about how Dan Locke's a scam. And when they ask the guy questions, he's saying how he tried this and he tried that and this didn't work and that didn't work. And overall, it was pretty bad. I've taken Dan Locke's courses. I think Dan Locke has a lot of very interesting points to make. I think he's a very smart and intelligent person. But I look at it as if you take a course, you pay $2,000 for it, let's say $2,000, $3,000. If you can't get $2,000 or $3,000 worth of value out of it, it's probably your fault. Now, there's the odd exception that you bought a course from Ty Lopez and it has absolutely zero value in it, joking, but still, it's the idea that you should be able to pull value from it or you should have been able to use that as a catalyst to start taking action. So I think that that term now, fake guru, has become that almost witch-like 
everyone's everyone's a no, fake guru, fake guru, fake guru. So I think it's very important to be able to uh, filter the information correctly as well and be able to make the opinion for yourself. I think so many people, they see that video and they, they go, oh, he's a fake guru. Why? Oh, I watched a video with Kabuzilla. Like, okay. Yeah, but we have to admit that he really do the research though, at least, and he have reference. Yeah, he does do a lot of research. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. Somehow, some some people have different hobbies, right? But very yeah. important. His is that. He's like a personal investigator, basically. I know. <laughs> so, in your opinion, the e-com market and info product, these are different? Digital yes. product. Yes. So, one product is someone selling information. The other product is someone selling a physical product. They're both products, but one is physical and one is information-based. Um, I think that any copywriter who's trying to get started, these are the two best industries to target um, because they're the two that are booming the most right now. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And for those who like coaching or consultant, that they do have the service and also their digital product as well, their message are the same or it depends on the product that you are sell they are selling currently depends on the product because two two different products completely you could be your consulting service could be orientated around real estate people real estate uh marketer or sorry real estate agents um but then the product that you're selling the info product could be for any uh any commission-based sales role how do they have a constant lead of sales so depends on what you're selling and, and who exactly you're selling it to Mm-hmm. And in case, well, when someone, for example, anyone who listen here, like get this um, details information from what we are talking currently, and they say, hey, I want to work with Nick, then what they have to prepare to work with you? Do you ask for like information from the side of the business owner? Sure. So it's a huge red, red flag to me when I ask, cool, what are you doing right now with your business? Oh, I haven't started it yet. You know, that I don't want to work with new businesses. Um, I want to work with businesses who are already established, who have some sort of an offer that they're looking at. They're doing something right now and they just want to take the copy to the next level. They want to be able to have that side of, hey, this adds sales to what I'm doing. Um, so that's with a lot of copywriters. I mean, guys who are just starting out, they'll take any project. But I've learned over time that, you know, I think that we need to have a a lot of people come up with this idea. They come up with an idea like, oh, I, this is genius. This is the best idea ever. I'm going to go, and I'm just going to start selling. And they pour $5,000 into this idea, and then it falls flat. Why? Because they never took, a took the time to see, is this actually a problem that people have? So that's why I don't want to work with new businesses, because they're so gung-ho about hiring a sales page or getting a copywriter written. But then when the offer doesn't convert, they're thinking, it's my fault when, sorry, someone doesn't want to purchase your useless product that you created. So more than anything, I want to see that someone has a good offer. They're helping someone. It's not a weird project that's like a high risk or anything like that. It's a, it's a solid project. And that's really what I'm looking for is, is it a, a solid project that they already have a business with? If the, the offer hasn't been validated yet, yep. it also have the risks on copywriting as well? Yes. It's, the copy is very good. It, like you could have... I, I say this all the time that an amazing offer, an amazing offer with very poor copy will always outperform an awful offer with a great sales page on it. It'll mm -hmm. always outperform it. So it's so important to have that side of the offers down because you'll only figure out if your offer is good enough from testing it with the market over and over and over again. 
in my shoes, let's say I am productize my service. And that's also another challenging part of the business that I'm doing currently. Therefore, that's why I cancel those things and I just like building something new right now. But I'm not in rush. What do you think people should prepare about copywriting? Or if they're going to start by themselves, is that separate question? Sure. Okay, so let's say if someone's going to do the copywriting by themselves, they want to just write it themselves. Here's what you need to do. You need to ask those questions that I talked about before. So number one is identifying the pain points. What is it that keeps this person up at night? What is the problem they're trying to solve about my product? So I'm selling this water bottle. So pain point is they're dehydrated. They maybe have not had a chance to drink all day. They have a dry mouth, whatever it is, pain points. Then I want to talk about what is the paradise? What is the ideal situation of this person? So how I will structure this is where do they want to be? So hydrated, their mouth is not dry, pretty simple with water. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to position myself or my product as the vehicle to get from point one to point two. So the vehicle is my water bottle that I'm selling. So point one, point two, point three, point four, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about my trials and tribulations. All the time we spent developing this water bottle and finding you know, the mountains of bashes and being able to go and, and dig deep and get all the water out and get a fall coming towards us or, or a well built out, cool. That's how I would sell them. It's the, the ooh, wow, so exquisite, so, so niche. You, you look at like a perfect example of this is go pick up designer bottles of water. So I mean like Voss, and uh, Fiji and these types of things, the $5, $7 bottles of water and read how they sell the water. It talks about the pain point, talks about the paradise, it talks about their brand and then it talks about the side of them being, um, uh, having to go through these troubles to get it. So it, it builds the value of the water. From there afterwards, after I give the trials and tribulations, there's the unique solution that you came up with. So for me, we went and we now made Bash's water. That's our unique solution, it's our product usually. So we have our unique solution. And then what I wanna do is I wanna future sell people. So I wanna future sell them. And what that means is I'm telling them, imagine what it would be like if you, ne if you were never dehydrated again. Yeah, I'm just, you know, the water bottle is kind of a dry example, so I'm doing my best here. But, you know, imagine what it would be like if da-da-da-da. What would your life be like da-da-da-da-da? How would you feel if da-da-da-da-da? So we are selling them on the future. Then what I'm going to do is show them, you don't have to imagine because this has happened for so many other people. And I'm going to show them a testimonial, a bunch of testimonials. I want to give overwhelming proof that what I do works. So I'm going to give them testimonials. And then after that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give them a risk reversal. So the risk reversal is simply put me showing them that I'm taking all risk off the table for you. So I'm going to give you a 60 day money back guarantee, a 30 day money back guarantee, whatever it is, create your guarantee. Then after that, what I'm going to do is show them. So we have testimonials. I'm going to show them the bonuses. So what exactly they're going to get on top of it. So when you purchase this bottle of water, you'll get two bottles of water or for the price of one, or you'll get this, or you'll get that, or a, a cozy, a cozy, or whatever it's called. You're going to get this and that. So I add in a bonus. I'm going to show the value. And please, whoever's listening to this, don't be the person that says, you're going to get all these bonuses and add it up and say the value is $30,000 and you're giving it away for free. That's BS. We all know that's BS and it doesn't work. 
as much as it used to in the past. So I would say stay away from that tactic. But then the final part of any good sales letter, any good piece of copywriting is a close. Uh, simply what I like to do for my close is I have three paths that they can take. I tell them you can take path one where you do nothing, you stay the same. Path two, you go and figure everything out on your own. Path three is I help you and you work with me and you don't have to go and figure it out on your own. So those are the steps that I recommend towards writing a really good letter. Now, I think it's important for someone to understand if you have the resources, you should go and hire another copywriter. You shouldn't be doing it. If you know that you are able to afford it, you should hire someone who specializes in this. You should not try and do it all yourself because you're going to end up with some weird copy. And a lot of times it's just better for you. You can go focus on what you do best, which is your business, either your coaching or your product or whatever it is, or living life while someone else does that side of things for you. So if you can afford it, go for it, hire someone. If you can't just do it yourself. I agree. It's yeah. not my strength at all. If yeah. anyone who listening does hire someone and in case they want to hire Nick, how can they reach out to you then? You can find me on Facebook. It's Nicholas Verge on there or Nick Verge uh, on Instagram. My name is at my name is Verge. So find me on any of those platforms, shoot me a message and start a conversation. And I'd, I'd love to learn more about you and your business. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course, it was a pleasure. Hey, Get Unstuck family. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to get notification in case the new episode coming out. And please give us the honest review. We really appreciate you. And if you would like to have me sharing my thing with you on weekly basis, Check out World Wide Web, ebmgetunstuck.com. Let's get unstuck together.